Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America, wake up! The political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. This is a show where we are exploring what it takes to make meaningful change in a country that is as divided as our country has become. You know, I want to start this week's episode by just acknowledging something which is uh, true for me, it's true for you. I did not get where I am today all by myself. I can tell you right now, I'm indebted to so many people who taught me, who guided me, who poured into me, who helped me. And I think it's important this season that I bring in some of the people who gave me their wisdoms. They can share their wisdom with you. And that's why this week, I'm so glad I got a chance to sit down and talk to Ariana Huffington, who is actually one of my earliest mentors, one of my most consequential mentors, and also a good friend. Over the course of her career, she's gone the whole gamut. She started off as a young star on the political right. People forget she started off as a conservative and then she became a leading light on the left. Eventually, she's transcended politics altogether. And she spends most of her time now just trying to get everybody to live a better life, no matter who you are. But over the course of that career, she's written 15 books. Almost all of them have been bestsellers. She started not one, but two uh, major iconic businesses. First, the Huffington Post and now Thrive, which is uh, dedicated to changing the way that we work and the way we live by ending the stress and burnout epidemic. That's really her new mission, her new calling. She's always thinking about how to make the world better and then pulling in key stakeholders from the business world, the political world to make her vision a reality. Uh, For the human operating system, downtime is a feature, not a bug. And that's where spiritual truth is validated by modern science. I always love the myth of creation in kind of every spiritual tradition. You know, God creates heaven and earth, and then she takes the seventh day off. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> Clearly, she's omnipowerful and omnipresent and omniscient. She obviously doesn't need a day off. <laughs> right, right. But she was sending us a message which we have completely ignored for centuries. I promise you, no matter who you are, there is something you can learn from Ariana Huffington. If you're a young person trying to make your way in the world, if you're someone who's trying to navigate personal transformation or political transformation, if you're somebody who has a dream that you're trying to chase, you got a company you want to build, you got a book you want to write, there is so much you can learn from Ariana Huffington, who is just a master of self-discovery, self-reinvention, achievement, impact. So stay tuned for my conversation with Ariana Huffington when we get back. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. 
Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Well, first, I just, I'm just beyond pleased and, and appreciative to get a chance to talk with you. We've known each other for a long time. And I think what I most love and admire about you is that you've been able to continue to transform, you know, based on wisdom, based on experience through different seasons of your life. And we got to transform. That's the the scary thing about where we are right now is all these breakdowns, ecologically, politically, spiritually. But, you know, breakdowns can lead to breakthroughs if you use them right. And I think you've been able to, to be a consistent kind of personal transformational diva for a long time. And so what I really wanted to talk to you about was, you know, to rewind the tape a little bit, start with your early life, and then kind of walk through where you are now as somebody who's really you know, basing your your work on, on wisdom and healing and, and all that kind of stuff. But you didn't start out that way. I mean, you started off as a young go-getter. Uh, you were a political star in your 20s. Uh, you were a published author. You were a major academic heavyweight. When you look back at your 20s, I mean, you were just going for it. Would the Ariana in her 20s have been able to do all that stuff if she were taking the advice of Ariana today, which is a lot more about balance? So, Van, I actually don't use the word balance because it doesn't really exist. The truth is that um, life and work are kind of integrated. And um, sometimes you have a little baby now, maybe your baby is sick, that's going to be your priority. You have a big project deadline, that's going to be your priority. If we expect life to be like 50-50 every day, (laughs) it's just not going to happen. I think for me, the key is when I do what I need to do to be fully recharged, I'm the best version of myself. So unquestionably, I would have been more effective and had more joy in my life if I knew and practiced that um, in my 20s. And that's why I feel so passionate about the work I'm doing now and helping people abandon the collective delusion that in order to succeed, we need to be always on, that burnout is the price of success and achievement. And uh, What is so interesting is that even if our goals are not personal but collective, like social justice or the crusading work you've been doing for years, when we take care of ourselves, we are going to be more sustainably successful at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think it's it's a paradigm shift. Uh, As you know, um, I've been 
with my face against the furnace for uh, decades, you know, and it's it's hard to give yourself permission to back off. You think to yourself, you know, look, you know, these kids are in prison. These folks in Appalachia are losing everything. You almost feel like you don't have the permission or the right even to take care of yourself. And, you know, you know how that feels. And you, but what you're saying is that that's exactly the wrong way to think about it. Exactly. And all the science makes it very clear. And we see it from elite athletes that, you know, if Tom Brady didn't get enough sleep and didn't spend the night doom scrolling or TikToking before a game, he would not be winning Super Bowls in his 40s, period, scientifically proven. And he talks about it. So we can look at elite athletes as an example because we have the score in front of us and they now tell us uh, what they are doing to take care of themselves. A lot of times, I mean, I, I think the culture doesn't help. In any movie, there's somebody, they're, they're not doing well, then they show the montage, and they're just working their butts off, and they're doing 100 push-ups, they're running up the stairs or whatever, and then all of a sudden they're fit and perfect and everything is great. And I tell people all the time, your life is actually the montage. It's that daily effort to try to do better. And what they never show in the montage is taking a nap. <laughs> what yeah. they never show in the montage <laughs> is getting a full night's sleep. You know, it's all this efforting. And I think the culture, um, so, therefore, you wind up thinking that's how, you, how you're going to be successful. How else could you be successful if you didn't kill yourself? And also, neither of us is talking about not working hard. Right. And we are talking about working smart and not working with diminishing returns. You know, Van, I actually um, try to understand how come for decades we've been leaving something that is scientifically false. And it goes back to the first industrial revolution when we started revering machines. And the goal with machines is eliminate downtime. That's right. <laughs> and then the goal with software is um, have 99.999% uptime. Uh, but the human operating system is different. Uh, for the human operating system, downtime is a feature, not a bug. And that's where um, spiritual truth is validated by modern science. I always love the myth of creation in kind of every spiritual tradition. You know, God creates heaven and earth, and then she takes the seventh day off. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> right, uh, <yeah. laughs> Clearly, yeah. she's omnipowerful and omnipresent and omniscient. She obviously doesn't need a day off. <laughs> right, right. But she was sending us a message which we have completely ignored <laughs> for centuries. You know, the other thing I think is um, the idea of, of change and transformation, like personal change and transformation. Um, you've been pretty good at that. You start off politically conservative. Then for a while you were you were more in the center, and then uh, for a while you were progressive, and now I think you're really you've transcended all of that, and I think you're trying to bring health and healing to the whole of civilization. Th- that's tough. I just wonder, can you talk about just from a personal point of view, which I don't I haven't heard you talk about much recently, those those steps and those stages, like what what gave you the ability to change your mind and 
to break out of your your tribe. I mean, now, I mean, the idea you're going to leave your political tribe and go to some other tribe, like you're going to get killed on both sides. I mean, there's a lot, but we're going to have to be able to break out of these tribal bubbles. You've been able to do that over and over again. Uh, talk about that a little bit. So first of all, it's interesting to look at what kind of a conservative I was. <laughs> I was a pro-choice pro-gay rights, pro-gun control conservative. Mm -hmm. And what made me a conservative was my passionate belief, which I still, I still hold, that we cannot just delegate our compassion to government. Um, that our compassion and our service have to be part of our own lives and, and, of, and what we bring our children up with. And... Uh, what made me change my mind is that I realized that that, although still an incredibly important goal, is very hard to achieve and that we simply need the raw power of government appropriations to achieve a lot of the collective goals that we have. So it was a really very simple fact of looking at results and then I actually never thought, oh, you know, I'm not going to change, even though I know <laughs> my old position was wrong because I'm going to be attacked. I feel very blessed that I had a, an amazing mother. Mm. Uh, she had just died when you and I met um, right. in uh, 2001. And uh, she always brought me up to be not fearless in the sense of not experiencing fear, but fearless in the sense of not letting my fears get in the way of what I did. I remember, because you know, I didn't know you when you were initially making that transition, and what I think was so powerful is that you put your body where your mouth was. You weren't just giving speeches about what poor people should do. Uh, you went and you stood with women who were homeless and who were going through things. Um, but, you know, you said something I wanted to circle back to. You said spiritual. And, you know, you have kind of come out of the closet to a certain extent uh, as a spiritual person. I mean, you're a business person. Thrive is a, is a thriving business. Uh, you figured out a way to use the power of, of the market to get these ideas out and taken seriously. But the core of the core of the core of who you are, there's a spiritual uh, quest that you've been on since I've known you. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's maybe a little bit safer to talk about it now, but for a while, you, you start talking about spiritual stuff, somebody might call you cuckoo. You, you never cared about that. You talked about it anyway. Talk about the spiritual dimension of your life. So I feel very blessed that it's always been there. When I was a teenager, I went to India and studied comparative religion at Shantaniketan University that was founded by Rabindranath Tagore. And... Um, then after my second, my after my first book was published when I was 23 and it was a big success, I locked myself up and wrote a book which had a spiritual dimension for our collective lives. Don't worry, uh, Van, if you haven't read it because nobody has. Uh, <laughs> it, it was rejected by 37 publishers. Um, it was finally published after I had run out of money and I was lucky enough to get a, a loan from Barclays Bank <laughs> that kept me going until I finally got an acceptance. You know, the book, I think, sold 3,000 copies, so it was never successful. But it was really important for me to express how I felt. Mm -hmm. 
Then I wrote biographies of Picasso, Maria Callas, a book on Greek mythology, and then I returned to the topic and wrote a book called The Fourth Instinct. Right. And by the, by that, what I meant and mean is that a lot of our psychological collective conversation has been around the first three instincts, survival, sex, and power, you know, the instinct for power, status, etc. But the, you cannot understand or explain human behavior throughout history without the fourth instinct, which is the instinct for meaning, for transcendence, for something larger than ourselves. You cannot understand Gentiles risking their lives to save Jews, or the redemption project that you did, or all the work that's being done, that's not about the first three instincts. I think it's so important to recognize that because I also think now that the mental health crisis that is accelerating and that finally we're paying real attention to is also fundamentally a spiritual crisis. And that the deaths of despair... People are so surprised that there are more deaths of despair among people who are not really at the poverty level mm-hmm. because they are looking at it as an economic uh, crisis. And of course, there are huge economic problems, sure. but there is also a fundamental spiritual crisis that we need to address. Yeah, when you talk about you know, death of despair, you mean you know suicides, people who are overdosing, that kind of stuff. And and it's not as closely correlated as you might think to to economic poverty. There's obviously economic poverty, but there's also a spiritual poverty. I've been in communities where people were quite poor, but they had a sense of meaning. They had a sense of belonging. They had a sense of purpose. They had rituals. They had traditions. They had fun. And I've been to other places where, you know, everybody's locked up in their homes with lots of stuff, lots of gadgets, lots of toys, lots of, you know, cars in the, in the car, and just no soul. Um, no beating heart of, of love and life and celebration and people sinking into real despair. And I think that as we are going through this transition, I think we're, we need a new human civilization that is uh, more at peace with itself and the earth and frankly more worthy of both the term human and the term civilization <laughs> as we go forward. And as we go through that process, there's stuff to hospice and there's stuff to midwife. <laughs> and all that, I mean, anytime I, I was there for the death of both my parents, I was the only one in the room both times, and I was there for the birth of all three of my children. And anytime you're close to birth and death, you're close to something deep and powerful. You can call it God, you can call it spirit, but you're close to something that's not the same stuff that's there when you're eating a cheeseburger on the go at the airport. You know, there's something else that's present. And I think we need that the presence of that in our society more as we say goodbye to some things and we try to welcome new things. And I think you know you, you, the spiritual dimension of your work is is that much more important to me. I feel it's becoming more and more important to me too. And uh, and interestingly enough, I think this is one of the silver linings in the pandemic. You know, the pandemic has been a time of incre- incredible grief and losses. And at the same time, historically, uh, we know that plagues and pandemics have made people ask some of the fundamental questions. Why are we here? Right, right. How am I going to spend my limited time on earth? And come more face to face with death. 
And, you know, if you think of it, Van, we have, if we're lucky, 30,000 days to play the game of life. So uh, how we spend those 30,000 days depends on what we value. And if we are disconnected from our spiritual essence, it is so much easier to value things that will never really fulfill us. And I think there is a collective longing to stop living in the shallows, to stop measuring our lives and our status by how many likes we have and and um, how amazing is our vacation uh, on, in the south of France. So all the things that Instagram and so many of the social media have made so much more prevalent in our lives, you know, living our lives through comparing ourselves. Again, as Brittany Barnett said on her podcast, it's really about looking at what's happening in people's lives and being moved to action, not just being moved to tears. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. You know, I, I do wonder, you know, uh, you were in the political arena. I remember you did the shadow conventions back in the days. And if you go to the Democratic convention, there'd be like a shadow convention People like John McCain and other folks, or you go to the Republican convention, you have you would have a shadow convention. You were actually trying to pull people together <laughs> um, away from the foolishness in both parties. Even uh, back in the '90s, you, you ran for governor. What do you, as you look at the people who are now in political positions, and you think about all you've learned and all you've done, you think about what, what science now tells you. If you applied some of these principles to politics, I mean, what what would change? Not for the voters, but for the actual people who are, to your point, in the arena in a different way. They got to they got to get reelected. They're going to get beat up on the, the the national news. They might trend if they say the wrong thing on social media, but they've got to somehow find a way to bring this country together and move it forward. How does how do you apply some of this wisdom to the political arena where things are really polarized, not wise, none of that stuff? Well, I remember actually, Van, 
um, you sitting down and watching with me uh, all the Eye on the Prize documentaries. And yes. I, I'm sure you had watched them many times before. And it is kind of amazing. I think what is missing from modern politics is the Eye on the Prize. When I organized the Shadow Conventions in 2000, I focused on three major issues. One of them was the growing inequalities. 2000, it's 2022, and things are much, much worse. The other is actually a little better. It was the, um, the failed war on drugs, which you remember in 2000 yeah. was yeah. so prevalent and horrific and militarized. And, uh, and the third, it's so bad, we're not even talking about it. <laughs> that was campaign finance reform. Right. <laughs> so, what? what, what? <laughs> one out of three. One out of three. That's that's still pretty good. <laughs> so now, I suppose, if we're doing them now, we would have included climate change. Absolutely. Absolutely. But basically, the issue of the growing income inequalities, if you see that as the eye on the price, how do we focus on that? It's really about... How do we bring people together? And I consider these issues beyond left and right. Uh, you don't have to be a lefty to believe that growing income inequalities are incredibly destabilizing. Oh, yeah. If you care about law and order, I don't think there are many things worse than having um, people who are angry and hungry and homeless. And we know what that looks like around the world. So there's so much common ground. And I feel that if really the goal was to solve problems around the biggest challenges we're facing, we would act very differently. It's funny just thinking, thinking back, you know, the, the impact that I think you had on me and a bunch of other, other people. Uh, you know, I think that was the first time the, the shadow conventions where I saw real leadership to try to bring people together across party lines to get something done on things that were really bigger than politics. And, you know, in some, you know, in some ways, you know, after that, I wound up working on some of the early green job stuff and have continued. So, you know, you just never know. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's so important. It's important, I think, for people to follow your example of doing what you feel called to do in that moment. Um, and you've been so prescient. I mean, I remember when you did the Huffington Post. I mean, the blogosphere wasn't the blogosphere as we know it. There were people had some blogs, <laughs> but nobody was talking about the sphere. <laughs> um, and you were able to use your incredible convening power to convene people not just in person, but now for the first time online and to host a conversation online. That was really radical at the time. And, uh, and now in 2016, when you started Thrive, talking about mental health, talking about uh, per human performance, talking about, you know, burnout and, and it, it being optional, that wasn't happening, you know, five, 10 years ago. So you continue to somehow be you know, just ahead of the culture, kind of getting us where we need to be. Um, and I, I appreciate you for doing that. I mean, to, what do you attribute that? Because, I mean, it's one thing to do it once, you know, you, you know, invent Google or something once, but to do it over and over again, to what do you attribute that? Um, I really think a lot of it comes from my mother, um, bringing me up believing that failure is not a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, she used to say, failure is not the opposite of success. It's a stepping stone to success. 
Because every time you try something new, you may fail. It's, and, if that's, and if that's a big problem for you, then you're going to play it safe. And uh, wow. I remember when I launched the Huffington Post, the day one, I, I remember a review, which I have learned by heart, that said the Huffington Post is an unsurvivable failure. It is the movie equivalent of Gili, Heaven's Gate, and Ishtar all rolled into one. In case you don't remember, they were all big flops. Yeah, I remember. So it was, we got terrible reviews at the beginning. A year later, the woman who wrote the review reached out to me and said, I was wrong. HuffPost has become an essential part of the internet, and can I write for you? And that's what's so important. I said, of course, because the other thing my mother had taught me is not to hold grudges. Right. Not because I'm a I'm such an amazing person, but because it's the it's the most draining thing you can do for yourself. And you know, then thrive. I so there I was, you know, 2016. I had a big global media company in 18 countries. And, but I knew that my heart wanted me to do something else and not just raise awareness around how we work and live and avoiding burnout and reducing stress and prioritizing our mental health and connecting that to our performance, but helping people do it. You know, I had already written two books on the subject, Thrive and the Sleep Revolution. I was covering these issues exhaustively on the Huffington Post, but I wanted not to help people change behaviors. And, you know, changing behaviors is the hardest thing in the world, and I wanted to do it. And in order to do that, I needed a different company that was a product technology company that brought together all the latest science of micro steps and storytelling to help people change behaviors. And, and I remember being nervous about it. I was basically giving up a real success a to go start too. again, you know, literally rent a one room and start raising money <laughs> and start Not again. advisable. <laughs> Not advisable. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm so happy I did it, not because Thrive has worked, but because I do, I'm doing what I love and, uh, and bring, putting my love into what I'm doing means that whatever challenges I have to face every day, it's just seeing the impact on people's lives makes it all worth it. And also, you know what, um, Van, I now have more hope that real change will come from businesses and from uh, civil society and people on the ground and from politics. Again, that's not to give up on politics. The power of real political change is so extraordinary and unmatched. Uh, but it can't be our only focus anymore. I, I feel the same way, especially in the African-American community. So much of our mythos of change has to do with Washington, D.C., um, it was the March on Washington. It wasn't the March on Wall Street. It wasn't the March on Silicon Valley or Hollywood. It's you know March on Washington. You know, Thurgood Marshall went to Washington. You know, it's uh, you know Obama went to Washington. So there's this huge, huge presence I think for Black folks of you know if we can just get politics right. That's why you see Black people standing in long lines to vote and you know every election. But you know there's other there's other places of power in the country. You know there's finance, uh, you know, Wall Street. That's a, a corner of power. 
um, that needs some some soul and needs a, a calling to a, a deeper purpose. Certainly Silicon Valley and technology, and of course Silicon Valley now is everywhere from Austin to Boston, but that that's a whole dimension that needs, we need as much wisdom as data <laughs> in the technology space. And that's work to be done. And certainly Hollywood and LA, we were, uh, we both spent a lot of time. The world is, is made of stories and stories that we tell. If you want new facts, you need new fiction. It, it, it really does. You, know, you can move the culture. You can move the whole society if you just change the stories you tell children. So there's so much more, I think, to my sense of what's possible and what's necessary than just politics. And I think that's, that's why I love about your evolution. You know, you went through a lot of political transformation, and but that was actually just the surface. Underneath was a human transformation. <laughs> and now you're making that available to everybody. You've been making your heart and your mind and your, your spirit available uh, to make the world better for a long time. And uh, I did not get a chance to meet your mom, but I know the impact she had on you and your sister. She would have loved you. Yeah, and wow. um, and I I'm, I feel so much of my work and writing are so full of her and and I find as we're working with companies around the world now, including some of the biggest companies like Walmart and Accenture and Salesforce and CVS, what I prioritize is helping people in the front lines. You know, a lot of the wellness work mm-hmm. tends to be more focused on people who've been privileged to be able to work from home during a pandemic. But the vast majority of people around the world didn't have that privilege. They had to show up. They had to show up in stores and in factories and in hospitals. And so that's a big priority for us. And through the combination of what we call micro steps, you know, small daily incremental steps and no judgments, and then capturing the stories It's so moving. I mean, at Walmart, we also give financial rewards when people participate in a challenge, either to lose weight or to um, uh, improve uh, their mental health, whatever challenge they pick. And the biggest award once a year is $50,000, which is very significant for people who are largely on minimum wage. And the woman who won it this year wrote a Facebook post. She wrote how, um, why winning the Thrive Challenge prize is different than winning the lottery. She said, because it's changed the way I live my life. And her job is so hard. Her job is to stock shelves in a Walmart store from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. But she said she lost 34 pounds She found a new kind of joy in everything she's doing because her health is so much better. And she said through little things, she said they started cooking, she and her husband, rather than going to fast food restaurants. They started buying different things. She said, if you came to my kitchen now, it's not full of candy and chips. I actually have fruit and almonds. And and she walks us through this micro steps, the small daily changes that got her to a new life. And I feel if we can help people really go upstream and help themselves before they get sick. I mean, it's also important if you are sick, because if you sleep better and hold better thoughts in your head, you'll you'll get well faster. 
but we have a huge job which the healthcare industry has completely abandoned. The whole emphasis is on the last mile of care. And a lot of great things have been done there. But really, the fundamental transformation is going to happen in the first mile. So that's kind of my passion right now, because if we can make this difference in people's lives, we can transform how they show up in their communities. And I think that's going to have a big impact also on politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I just love talking to you. And it's just so amazing. Um, you know, I, th- I think you're right. If, if, if we have a healthier citizenry, we probably will have a healthier uh, politics. And I, I was going at it the other direction for a long time. We could just get these policies changed and everybody will be happy. And it turns out... It's, not, I, it's not either or. We just it's can't wait. We can't wait yeah. until all these policies are changed. Yeah, we have it, to it do goes. that hard work while also working um, to change things every day. Yeah. Well, look, I, I appreciate you so much. Um, uh, you've been a huge... huge I, can, I can never... I would put you in the top five people in my life besides my parents uh, who who changed my life and who showed me what was possible when um, I got a chance to, as you were, you know, going through all the stuff you're talking about, getting a chance to know you and sometimes get a chance to be you know, right there in the room. I remember one time uh, you called, uh, I believe it was Gorbachev or maybe Gorbachev called you. I was like, how is that even possible? Like, God, this, and then uh, you called Colin Powell. I'm like, Colin Powell has a phone and a phone number that somebody could dial. Like, I was so new to all this. Like, how is it even possible? And you were just constantly trying to figure out ways to bring the best people together to get good stuff done. And um, some stuff is, is, is better known than others about you. But uh, I've seen a good chunk of it, and it's influenced me. And just to have you on the podcast, we could not have completed the first season of this podcast without Ariana Huffington. And I appreciate well, having thank you. Thank you so much. You know, you taught me so much. Mm-hmm. And um, your passion, but also your daily hard work to make fundamental change has definitely made the biggest difference on my life and my goals. So thank you. And thank you for Uncommon Ground. I'm absolutely loving it. We see the beauty of hope. That spirit is so beautiful. Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door. As you can tell, Ariana and I go way back. I've just got so much respect for her, so much love for her. I would not be where I am today without her. I wouldn't be who I am without her. I actually met Ariana back when I was a grassroots leader and activist in Oakland, California. And she was already very, very well known at that point. But she found out about the work that I was doing, trying to help urban youth. And she started inviting me to conferences, uh, leadership summits. And I got introduced to a whole different level of change maker you know back in those days her real superpower was her ability to build these relationships and networks of people this is like before you had facebook and social media you had to actually do it you know you pick up the phone and call people or, you know, or even page them and try to get them together and she would get people over to her, her home from both political parties all walks of life and she just get people talking And that power of connection and communication that she represents is something that really changed my life 
you know, just watching the way she worked, it just gave me a whole new idea of how power and influence can really work and how positive changes can actually get done. And so today I, I try to do some of what she does in my own work, you know, talking to people at the top, talking to people at the bottom, talking to people on the left, talking to people on the right, talking to people in the jailhouse, talking to people in the White House, just trying to figure out some way to bring people together. And really the first person I saw do that was Ariana Huffington. And here we are years later and outwardly Ariana, you know, she's changed a lot. You know, she used to be a Republican. Now she's a Democrat. Uh, she used to run one kind of company. Now she runs another kind of company. But at her core, with all that change, she's still the same person. Uh, first time I talked to her, she talked about her mom. And today she talked about her mom. You know, she's got that consistency. And, you know, I just find it really inspiring. A lot of people are afraid to try new stuff because they think they're going to change too much in the process. I think what Ariana Huffington teaches the country and teaches the world is that you can change and you can transform. But you always keep the best parts of yourself. You might lose some of the bad stuff, hopefully, but you're going to keep the best parts of who you are. And I'm glad that we still have the best parts of Ariana Huffington. She's got magic. She's got genius. I'm so glad she's a part of the Uncommon Ground community. That's it for this week's Uncommon Ground. I'm Van Jones. See you next week. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Taylor Williamson, Adesua Agbonile, and Lindsay Credible. Our managing producers are Laura D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Moraes, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Alex John Burns, Seven McDonald, Drew Swinteman, Brianna Jones, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkeen, Vanessa Redbert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jockerman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.